Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 1. But all this I have laid unto my heart, so as to clear up the whole of this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. Neither love nor hatred doth man know. The whole is before them. This is a very poetic chapter, and a lot of the things it says are true. But it still leaves us with more questions than answers. It isn't the gospel. It's a complaint about the realities of life that we all have to experience. But it doesn't explain why. And we know why. It's because the Lord has a plan, and He allows righteous people to suffer and wicked people to prosper for a short time to work out His plan. In verse 1 it says that humans don't have a way of understanding either love or hatred. And that's like saying we don't know if we're good or we're bad because in the end, whether you're good or bad, you get the same treatment. Good and evil people die and good and evil people either suffer loss at sometimes or suffer prosperity at times. 2. The whole is as to the whole. One event is to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean, and to the unclean, and to him who is sacrificing, and to him who is not sacrificing. As is the good, so is the sinner, he who is swearing as he who is fearing an oath. This says everybody gets the same treatment in the end. Everybody will die. It'll be both the righteous and the wicked. Those who are pure and those who are impure. Those who are giving to the Lord and those who are not giving. Those who sin and those who do good. Those who swear and those who take their words seriously. 3. This is an evil among all that hath been done under the sun, that one event is to all, and also the heart of the sons of man is full of evil, and madness is in their heart during their life, and after it unto the dead. He says, there is madness in the things that we do because we all have to die. It's like he's saying it doesn't matter if we sin or we don't sin because we all have to die. But that is such a narrow perspective. Jesus died on the cross, and he certainly should have never had to die, but he died. The better question is, why does Jesus offer us eternal life? But people without faith never ask questions like that. They're fixed on the material world. And in most of this book, Solomon is fixed on the material world. And if you only look at material and temporal things, life will never make any sense. It only makes sense when we include eternity in our perspective, and we realize that all the suffering we experience now is going to be more than worth it when we enter into eternity. People without faith all have the same problem. They have tunnel vision. The questions they ask are always based on limited information, so the question itself is moot. It doesn't even matter. It's like if you ask me, what animal would I choose to be? That's one of those secular questions that are based on limited information, because what if I don't want to be an animal? What if I'm glad to be human and thankful that I'm a human? And I would never presume to change myself into anything else, because it would be an offense to my creator. Secular questions don't allow for a larger perspective. And that's what we have in this chapter. It's very beautiful, but the perspective is extremely limited. 
4. But to him who is joined unto all the living, there is confidence. For to a living dog it is better than to the dead lion. Solomon says it's better to be alive than dead, whether you're righteous or unrighteous, rich or poor. Dogs are scavenger animals, so they're kind of down there with pigs and chickens, as far as the glory of creation goes. And he says it's better to be a living scavenger animal than a dead, mighty warrior animal that eats fresh flesh. 5. For the living know that they die, and the dead know not anything, and there is no more to them a reward, for their remembrance hath been forgotten. This is similar to what King David said in many of his songs. He said that dead people cannot praise the Lord, and dead people don't know anything. As if, when you're dead, you don't exist anymore. Here Solomon is speaking the same way. Dead people have no impact on the living. In witchcraft, people try to conjure up the dead and get information from them, but the dead have nothing to offer the living. They're outside of time, and they can't come back. Dead people have nothing for us, and they can't give us anything. So that's what Solomon and King David meant. And Solomon says, when people die, they are forgotten. If it's a cult icon, they'll be remembered in People magazine. But most people aren't remembered at all. And if you are a cult icon, you'll only be remembered for whatever stereotypical image you projected out to the world. You won't be remembered for who you really were. 6. Their love also, their hatred also, their envy also hath already perished, and they have no more a portion to the age in all that hath been done under the sun. Again, Solomon's perspective is way too narrow, because all of us are going to enter into eternity, whether in torment or in the glory of God. And he is deliberately leaving that information out. 7. Go, eat with joy thy bread, and drink with a glad heart thy wine, for already hath God been pleased with thy works. Solomon is now saying, if you have the capability to celebrate, then that must be evidence that the Lord is pleased with you. Now we know that isn't true. God allows wicked people to prosper for a short time while he waits for them to repent. 8. At all times let thy garments be white, and let not perfume be lacking on thy head. That means take care of what you have, enjoy what you have, and make the most of it. Don't wear old, dirty clothing if you don't have to. Put on your best clothes, wear perfume. But this could also be a metaphor of wearing the white garment of righteousness and carrying the perfume of Jesus Christ, because Jesus does have perfume. That's why they had perfume in the temple. When he was walking on earth before he was crucified, he didn't wear perfume. But perfume was prescribed for the temple, and the Bible says that his garments are perfumed now that he is glorified forever. 9. See life with the wife whom thou hast loved all the days of the life of thy vanity that he hath given to thee under the sun, all the days of thy vanity, for it is thy portion in life, even of thy labor that thou art laboring at under the sun. He says, enjoy life with the first wife that you married, 
stay with her forever and grow old with her and enjoy life. And that's the best way to enjoy a marriage is if it's the only one and it lasts for a long time because then you build memories together and you have a tighter bond because you went through so many things together. And this is true advice coming from a man who had hundreds of wives and probably forgot his first wife. Even though she was queen, he probably spent very little time with her. So he knew the folly of having many wives. And he again is saying, just go and make the most of whatever life you have. 10. All that thy hand findeth to do, with thy power do, for there is no work and device and knowledge and wisdom in Sheol, whither thou art. He says, whatever work you want to do, do it to your very best ability, because you won't be able to do it in the grave. You only have this life to do that work. I know that the Lord will have more things for us to do in heaven, but it's true that whatever we could do on this planet, we can only do in this life. Solomon is saying you only have one chance. 11. I have turned so as to see under the sun that not to the swift is the race, nor to the mighty the battle, nor even to the wise bread, nor even to the intelligent wealth, nor even to the skillful grace. For time and chance happen with them all. Solomon says, Everybody is subject to time and chance. Now, chance is a pagan belief that things just happen like rolling the dice. Nobody can control what is happening. Well, nothing is by chance because we're constantly making choices, and so is our Creator. And our Creator is in control. And we're in control of a lot more than we think we are. A lot of times what we think just happened, we made it happen by our choices. We just don't want to take responsibility for it. So here again, Solomon's preaching is very faulty. We have to be discerning. Just because somebody's a preacher doesn't mean that they're telling the truth. And a lot of times, if a person tells partial truths, they can lead us far astray because they're not telling the whole picture. And here in this chapter, it's beautifully written, but it's full of partial truths. He says everybody is subject to chance, whether you are strong or weak, whether you're wise or unwise, intelligent, or whether you have a lot of grace or talents, you will still be subject to time and chance. But you're not because the Lord determines our time and he also determines all the chances that we get. So we're subject to the Lord. 12. For even man knoweth not his time, as fish that are taken hold of by an evil net, and as birds that are taken hold of by a snare. Like these are the sons of man snared at an evil time when it falleth upon them suddenly. Here, evil simply means bad. So he says, you die at a bad time and you don't know it's coming. Now that's true. None of us know when we're going to die. Just like the fish getting caught in a net or birds getting trapped in a snare, none of us sees it coming the day that we die. 13. This also I have seen, wisdom under the sun, and it is great to me. 14. A little city and few men in it, and a great king hath come unto it, and hath surrounded it, and hath built against it great bulwarks. 15. And there hath been found in it a poor wise man, and he hath delivered the city by his wisdom, and men have not remembered that poor man. There was a story that we read in the Old Testament where an old woman saved a city. 
And according to this verse, nobody would remember who she was. Probably even if her name was in that Bible verse, I don't know what it was and you probably don't remember either. But she did save a city by her wisdom. Somebody who's low on the totem pole in work will have a great idea and everyone will ignore them. But then when somebody higher up has the exact same idea, then everybody applauds and says, Oh great, let's do that. No one even knows that the idea was already expressed by somebody else far lower in prestige. And Solomon is saying that if you're poor and you're not popular, nobody cares what you say, even when you're right. 16. And I said, Better is wisdom than might, and the wisdom of the poor is despised, and his words are not heard. Solomon says, Wisdom is better than strength. But those who have wisdom, if they're poor and unattractive, nobody will listen to them anyway. 17. The words of the wise in quiet are heard, more than the city of a ruler over fools. Solomon says that he wishes that the words of wise men spoken quietly would be heard over the loud cry of rulers who have no common sense. 18. Better is wisdom than weapons of conflict, and one sinner destroyeth much good. And this is true. One bad idea from a powerful sinner can destroy a lot of the good that wise, humble people have done. So wise, humble people can start up a town, and it can be a really safe, prosperous town where everybody is happy and full of joy. And then one bad mayor comes in and takes over, and within a decade, the town is spiraling downhill, full of crime. Even though many people started the town in wisdom, one fool in charge can destroy it all. But we don't have to focus on that because we're focused on eternity, not this life. And that's what Solomon left out of this chapter. And that concludes Ecclesiastes chapter 9.